Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. We are progressing along with season two and... You know, it never ceases to amaze me how many heart-centered leaders I continue to meet and be introduced to. So today I want to introduce you to Dana Vogelmeyer. Dana believes that everyone should feel good about going to work and feel fulfilled at the end of the day. And when they do, everything outside of work feels better too, she says. She launched Vogelmeyer Consulting in 2016 after working for 33 years for a Fortune 50 company where she honed her leadership through successes, failures, and examples of others. During her tenure, she worked for more than 25 years leading teams. So Dana, welcome to the show. Thank you, Deb. It's great to be here. It's it's so exciting for me to have a leader on the show who has stepped out of the corporate world and embraced the fear and the imperfection of starting your own company. How exciting was that? That's not a question. I'm just, this is where we're going to go with this conversation. So if you're ready, I'm going to dig into my leadership questions. I'm ready. Sure. I, I love the words tenacity and grit. I would love to know, my first question is, where was the intersection for you emotionally and from a decision-making standpoint that it was time for you to go out on your own? Tell us where that came from. Oh, such a good question, Deb. So for me, um, I had been you know, working in the corporate world for a very long time, was having you know some good success and really just kind of loving being in leadership. And I really always enjoyed helping others succeed and achieve their dreams. So I really felt it was very fulfilling and and had good experiences. I had great leadership and learned from a lot of great people um, until I didn't, right? (laughs) So then I had one that felt kind of like hitting the wall, you know, um, it just was, was not a good experience. And during that time that I was reporting to this person, um, it just kind of went against everything I knew a good leader did and, and kind of how I had worked in the past. And I felt like, you know, there was no more innovation or creativity or helping others. It was about just staying in the lines and don't rock the boat. And those words were literally used to me, like, don't rock the boat. We just got to keep it moving. I don't want to draw any attention to anything. Just keep it going. So to me, that was like status quo. That had not been my experience in the past. So, but during this time also, I 
you know, I didn't feel appreciated or valued, just constantly kind of shut down and, you know, no ideas, no nothing. So I really, I started getting depressed and gaining weight. And I just started, you know, I didn't even look like myself. I didn't feel like myself. And in the morning when I would get up and go to work, I used to enjoy feeling that, that way and look forward to going and seeing my friends at work. But I stopped feeling that way. And during that time, you know, I was really struggling. But when I was able to eventually kind of work my way through it, and I got out of that um, situation and was reporting to someone new, you know, kind of the light came back on and things were good again. So I really started examining that situation and what made it so bad and then what made the others good. And it kind of changed my leadership style and philosophy as a result of all of that. But it, in that time, Deb, is when I realized the environment, the atmosphere of where people are working makes a difference in how they feel and how they can contribute. And I want to create workplaces where people love to go, not where they dread getting up every day. So I kind of started during that time making my plan, my exit plan, and I knew I was going to be a few years out, but um, started kind of working towards it and thinking about what I would do, um, how I felt I could help, or is there other stuff that I needed to do to develop my knowledge base in these areas? So I worked on some certifications and things like that, some research, but kind of, you know, the stars aligned. And in 2018, uh, the, the company I was working for did a restructure and a, they were offering voluntary severance packages. So I kind of got very excited about that. I was planning to leave in nine months anyway. So the timing just felt so right. And I just made the move and I never looked back. I'm just so appreciative of the opportunity to help other companies create workplaces people love. Well, and the excitement for me in that story is you made the decision to leave before you got a diagnosis that gave you a different exit plan. So when people say, well, I had that gut feeling or I had that deja vu moment or something just wasn't sitting right, I'm trying to get so many people to really listen and tune into that intuition management to not jeopardize their emotional agility so they're in an emotional overdraft, bankrupt, whatever you wanna call it. Let's make these decisions before we get health problems because that's so near and dear to my heart and, and why I got into coaching and left the case management world. So that just makes my heart smile and feel full that you were like, okay, I, I'm drawing the line in the sand here and I'm going to go for it. And you did it. And congratulations. Thank you so much. And probably a huge weight lifted off your shoulders when you thought, I should have done this, you know, or <laughs> the old, I should have done this X amount of years ago, right? Yes. I think knowing what I know now, I would have done things differently, if, you know, as they say, if you could go back. Um, lots of people say no, because it brought me to here. But I, I think that there are certainly areas of opportunity where I could have done a better job and influence things in a different way. And so those are some things that I would, that I would definitely change. Well, and I, I love that cliche. You know, we all look at where we are right now. If I knew then what I know now, but that's all part of the joy and the journey. It's the peaks and the valleys. It's the falling. It's embracing imperfection. 
So next question, permanent residency on the podcast. It's my favorite question. There's no wrong answer. What imperfections does Dana bring to her heart-centered leadership? So I love this question, Deb. And I think about, you know, many of the situations that I have been involved in with people and trying to connect or to help solve their problem or whatever it might be. And I did notice a trend kind of, you know, earlier in my leadership where, you know, I thought I knew what the, what the situation brought and had to kind of teach myself to be a much better listener. I think I'm better today, but it, certainly I am not perfect at that. I often want to just kind of jump. So I have to really kind of check in with myself to pull back and, you know, let's examine the situation and let's listen to all the voices. And so, you know, I, I think of it as like a, a 360 look at the problem. And, you know, I, I feel like in my head, like I know how to solve this. <laughs> and maybe I have a good idea, but somebody else might have a really good idea. <laughs> so I just need to pause and facilitate that conversation and listen to everybody. Well, and I, I think that's such a skill that we all work on daily to hone. I always say to myself, cause I do the same thing. Okay, Deb, sit in the observer's chair because we get so passionate as, as leaders and coaches and consultants. And sometimes we have to just pull back on the excitement meter and sit in the observer's chair because it's like going to a restaurant with a phenomenal smorgasbord. You can grab lots of different things and when you put them all together, using a team metaphor here, it's limitless potential. Yeah, I love that uh, smorgasbord analogy because I, I use the analogy a lot of, of a good team is like a good stew. You don't want any one thing to kind of overpower it. You need, you need broth and you need the meat and the potatoes and the carrots and the one weird piece of onion or, you know, the celery, whatever it is, that's kind of adding all that flavor and making it great. Um, if you have too much of one thing, you're not getting the best that you could get. Food is always a good analogy, right? It's, it is. It's, a, it's part of our activities of daily living and it's so relatable. You've just segued beautiful into my next question. One of the reasons I, I wanted to have you on the show is because you're a heart-centered leader, but I know your area of expertise is in employee engagement. Such an important topic, especially now during unprecedented times. How have you been helping businesses since the pandemic? So let's let's bring you back to March of 2020 when our lives change globally as citizens. How do you foster a healthy culture remotely and keep your employees engaged? Because I know our listeners would, would love to gain a little bit of expertise from some of your strategies. Yeah. It definitely, um, during that time, things were just upended, right? We, we had a norm. We always did this, you know, and we may adjust from time to time, but then all of a sudden, like we were shoved into doing it differently. And I think because it brought complexities to an already complicated, you know, series of people, like all of us, we have complicated lives, but this really complicated it. So a, a lot of what I was recommending and kind of 
encouraging, which I know feels like, oh my gosh, that's more time and more work, but just checking in with people on an emotional level and a non-work level. So for example, there were so many people that were doing um, in their homes, all of a sudden we need, you know, four workstations or five workstations because kids are at homeschooling and they weren't before. And then you might have parents or the two parents might be working from home or somebody's there working from home. So it's a different um, way of using your living space. And sometimes for work, it felt like where's the stop and start. So those are strategies to help your people, you know, balance their lives, do what they need to do during the day, because they've got to help the kids get online and do whatever they need to do. So being flexible with that and understanding that what maybe people could come into the office prior to this, or even if they were remote prior to this, they maybe could give more undivided attention to, but if they had situations like that going on, maybe they couldn't. And even if they didn't have children that were schooling, there are other things that happened. You know, the, the way that we went about the world, the way that we bought our groceries or left the house or didn't leave the house. And there was a little bit of scariness to it. And so I think as a good leader, people want somebody to know that you, they, you care about them. So demonstrating that you care, but also like somebody to kind of anchor you a little bit. Like, I know I can count on that and that thing is steady. It's kind of that second level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like give me safety in an unsafe world. So if you can create that atmosphere, then I think people will really stick with you and they'll be appreciative and they'll be much more loyal, but they'll also talk about it, like how great their boss was during this time. Sometimes the story is different, how great, how not great their boss was during that time. So that can be a differentiator in people staying with the organization, telling their friends about it. So maybe in recruitment world and um, how, how much you're getting from people, how much they're willing to give. Because if you're not giving enough, then they don't, they don't give back. It's kind of that two-way street, if you will. Like it's a mutual commitment is maybe a better way of saying that. Oh, I love that. And, and not having, having the structure, but allowing less rigidity, I think is a nice, kind of that ebbing and flowing because that's what we're doing right now. Absolutely. And still working our way through it. But, you know, I, I think that some are doing it well and really kind of adjusting their styles. You know, if, if your style stays the old way and you're not having any kind of flexibility, you're probably not getting as much out of people as you, as you could. Now we didn't plan this, this podcast or, the, or these questions, but you've just, again, segued very beautifully <laughs> into my last leadership question. There's many different types of leadership. I know that you you are a connector. I know that you love to help people. You've alluded to that. You are a situational leader. Share with us what kind of leader you were when you were working for a Fortune 50 company. Are you that same leader and what has changed? So I'm going to answer the middle question first. I'm definitely not the same leader. Um, but I also think 
from the time I took my very first leadership role, um, you know, being a brand new leader and making a lot of the mistakes that we make and then being open to coaching. So I had one leader in particular, my very favorite, who was an excellent coach, gave great feedback. And I felt like I really grew under his leadership. His name was Barry. He, he just, he was the best at that particular part of the job. And so I, you know, I took advice and I also watched others, you know, what worked for some. Um, and it may not, that approach may not work for me, but you, you can learn by watching everybody and just back as being emotionally intelligent, kind of reading people and understanding the feelings in the room and different people are going to respond to change in different ways and those kinds of things. So I would say my leadership skills had an evolution over time. So the leader I was on day one was not the leader I was on the final day of year 25 and then leaving and now working on my own and having had the opportunity to see other organizations and their approaches um, in other industries has been very eye-opening. And so I think that the culture within an organization dictates a lot about what will work for leaders there. So not every company is for every person, just isn't. You know, I, I think about the old GE days when they let go of the bottom 10%, right? And so some people thrive in that kind of an environment. It's like, I'm going to be in the top, you know? <laughs> Other people would not. And then I compare, like, I love the story I heard at a conference once from some executives at Lululemon, the um, athletic apparel company. And what I loved was they talked about when they have a problem that they're trying to solve in a conference room or something, they will take a pause and do like a mind clearing, no phones, no computers, no discussion, just everyone clear their minds so we can focus on the problem. That would work in Lululemon. That would have never worked at GE. And GE's approach to fire the bottom 10% wouldn't work at Lululemon. So those are two kind of exaggerated um, or two opposite ends of the spectrum, if you will. But every company falls on that line somewhere. And so understanding what works. And then if that's not something you feel comfortable with, then that company probably isn't for you. So you need to look for a different organization. And then the same thing as a leader, your people. If the people are not aligned with the company or okay with, you know, that's how we do things around here, that kind of <laughs> approach, then they need to find something different. We work 40 or 50 years in our lifetimes. So don't go up, go settle showing up at the same place every day for something that you can't get behind and feel good about when the day is over. Well, and, and the intersection for me with those two great examples, because I'm a yoga teacher as well, yeah. I get the Lululemon modality and strategy. There's bits of those strategies that can fall into the GE, because you know a good leader can't lead with a mind full of chaos. So however that clarity of mind comes to you, and, and leadership is always in that upper level, that higher level of thinking that we call executive functioning, people can't appreciate it if they're not in that space. And with the amount of decisions that you have to make from, you know, the time your feet hit the floor in the morning till the time you lay your head down at night, 
it's extraordinary. And sometimes there's milliseconds to delegate, execute, make the decision. So it's it's very easy to be on the outside of the circle looking in going, well, why can't they make the decision? It's important to realize that it doesn't matter what job, what leader, what sector, we're all in the people business. It's borderless. Mm-hmm. But we, all, we all have to have a mind of clarity to really be the best version of ourselves showing up each day in leadership, because I say it all the time, leadership belongs to all of us. Absolutely. And I, I want to just tag on to that. I had um, seen a speaker one time many, many years ago, um, and he had studied what he called the most admired leaders and found common things like within every organization, you know, there were some common things that the most admired leaders in that company did. And one of them was they did find their way, whatever, whatever it was, whether it was bird watching or um, meditating or just reading for 15 minutes in the morning before they started their, their busy day or whatever it was, they did something that was for themselves that helped clear their mind. Even if they didn't kind of label it that way, that was one of the things that they they had in common. So I, I totally agree with what you just said. I Well, I and I, you know, part of my heart-centered leadership model within my coaching is every leader should be modeling self-care mm-hmm. Absolutely. in their personal life and professional life, especially now. You know, self-care's always had, you know, a piece in my toolkit, in my languaging, in my branding. And I think people kind of got a real smack in the face with COVID. And it's kind of like, okay, this is a pause. We're slowing down. We need to pivot. We've heard all the words for the last year and a few months. It's actually a mindset. It's not a person, place, or thing. And I think people are starting to really appreciate that. So I love your insights on that. Okay, I'm going to switch gears. And I'm going to ask you my rapid, fast, fab four. Four, just four fun questions. We want to know what's sitting on the top of Dana's mind today. First question, tell us something that we don't know about you. Um, Okay, so in... I think it was 2015. I went to a leadership seminar with a friend of mine. It was like, we were just going on our own. It was not something that was, you know, through the company or anything. And I, I, um, convinced her to go. I said, this is going to be great for us. And it was by Tony Robbins. And at the end of day one of the conference, it's super late at night, Deb. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like we've got to get to bed. But the conference wasn't over. We all, there were 7,000 people there. We all went out into the parking lot and he had sort of a ritual um, of walking across um, hot coals. And we did it. My friend and I did it. And we were so proud of ourselves. Just, you know, it's, there's a mindset to walking across the coals. And we did it. And we felt so good about it. And it's awesome. Kind of, you know, crazy, but loved it. (laughs) <laughs> I, I have I have been at a conference with him with 7,000 people. It's electrifying. Uh, we did not do the hot coals. It was flogging rain the day I was there. Oh. But it was like 13, 14 hour day. And your adrenaline is just at this 
unbelievable level that can't even be measured so i what a what a an amazing experience but certainly now an heirloom memory for you yeah absolutely oh i know i, I loved it and i love that if i'd seen the agenda and known it was 13 hours in my mind i would have thought oh i can't do that so i'm glad i didn't know <laughs> exactly we didn't know either so i i get it okay finish this sentence for me heart-centered leadership is Hmm. caring about the people that you have been entrusted to lead we're just going to leave it there beautiful okay third question share with us a book you're reading right now or maybe one that you've just finished tell us the title and the author and why you chose to read it right now i'm reading think again by adam grant and I am about on the fifth chapter. Um, I, I had heard about it through somewhere, maybe as he was out promoting it. And what I loved about it was just for us to challenge our own beliefs and our own thoughts that we sometimes stand so firmly in our own thoughts that we can't open that crack in our mind to think that someone else might be right. Also, <laughs> they might be right too. You know, and so I love that cartoon about the letter, the number six. And if you're looking at it from one way, it's a six and the other way it's nine. It's like, we're both right. And so it kind of made me think of that. And it's like, I want to be better at, at that. So and enjoy it. I just finished it about a month ago and same, it was, I saw it on social media and I really enjoy his podcast. I like his voice and the way he explains things. But it goes back to where we started with this podcast. It's giving you another opportunity to sit in the observer's chair. Yeah. Six and nine can be bookends, right? Right. Right. <laughs> love it. I love it. Okay. My last question is, what is one thing you would like our listeners to remember about Dana? Um, so I think... You know, it's kind of, we always say with age comes wisdom, right? So at this stage of life at, you know, 57 years old, kind of looking back at work, I would say less about me and would ask listeners to think more about, did I enjoy that? Do I look back on that thinking I'm, I'm fulfilled? I did something good. I contributed positively into the world in some way. It doesn't have to be huge, but in some way. And if you're still in a position um, where you can make a change to do it, and if you feel like you're not, you probably can make a change in a different way, even if it's not in the workplace. And be heart-centered while you do it. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, I'm delighted that our paths have crossed. I'm excited to stay connected and have more conversations. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing your time, your expertise, and your heart with us today. Oh, thank you, Deb. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart Centered Leadership Toolkit all free of charge. Thanks for your time and we'll see you again.